the Playhouse and That's Not Canon Productions acknowledge the Yuggera people, traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this show today and all surrounding areas where we live, learn and work. We also pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello, roomies! Welcome back to Scene 27 of the Playhouse Podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us. By us, at the moment, I mean me. But don't worry, Chelsea will be back with us in just a few seconds' time. As you can probably predict, we are recording this episode in lockdown. So I'm doing the intros and outros for this one, but Chelsea will be with us for the interview. And for today, we are talking to two super, super, super cool people. I'm sure you already know and love them. But we are, of course, talking to Tim Wynn and Stephen Rook, who are in an upcoming production of Seawall. Let's get straight on into the episode. Enough of me talking. Enjoy the interview. Thank you for joining us today, Tim and Steve. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Let's let's get straight into it. Can you give us a bit of a rundown about what Seawall is about? Um, Seawall is a play by um, a British playwright called Simon Stevens, who I guess most notably uh, did the adaption of Curious Incident, The Dog in the Nighttime. It's, you know, the, the what the play is about is, is a tricky one because there, there are a few spoilers in it, but the story of how the play came to be, I think is quite an interesting one as well. So there was a theatre in the UK and there was a new incoming artistic director and just in the process of her planning um, her her first ever season at this um, new writing theatre in the UK, there was a a deluge of rain and it kind of washed out the entire theatre and it had to have all the um, electrical equipment ripped out and all of the seats ripped out. And those are two pretty key elements I would say when it comes to you know doing any kind of show so she had a choice to close the theatre for six months or she could curate and commission um, a season that could be performed in natural light with I guess no set and and no kind of permanent seats Uh, and that's what she did and Simon Stevens was one of the first playwrights uh, she approached about it and so this play is written kind of with those restrictions in mind and it essentially um, is, you know, mildly autobiographical. Simon was on holidays at the time uh, with his family that he wrote the play and kind of that's the premise for the show straight up. And then there's kind of a moment in the play where um, Simon kind of goes, well, this is my life. What if this happened? And then what would be the kind of the fallout from that moment? And so he kind of posits that what if um, into his own life and then the play is the result of that. Wow. Anything for you to add, Steve? Yeah, I, I think it's a difficult play to explain because of, it's hard to explain without giving away the spoilers, as Tim has just said. But it's one of those shows where it feels like things happen on the stage that don't, the, the full impact of them isn't realised until you've left the theatre. So I think that this is one of those shows that's going to sit with people for days and days afterwards. And a lot of the things we hear people talk about with this show is uh, is just how uh, how much of an impact it had on them emotionally, you know, when they then went away and spoke to their spouses or their families or whatever, and, and it makes you want to sort of hug your families and, <laughs> and all of that sort of thing. So I think that uh, people are going to really feel 
after this one and hopefully talk about it, which is interesting as an artist because you kind of go, well, I'm not going to see that impact immediately. You know, that's going to happen in the private spaces around me and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. With Seawall, it's being performed in Ipswich. Is there a particular reason as to why this production is being held in a venue in Ipswich? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the company, my company, that production company is an Ipswich-based company. And that, even though that is the case, we have we have obviously performed in a, a variety of different locations around Southeast Queensland, but Ipswich is definitely our home. And I guess this has come about from looking for potential opportunities in Ipswich to create a certain level of work. And we're we as a company are constantly seeking for those opportunities and um, kind of advocating for ourselves to, you know, have those opportunities presented to us and kind of making that space for this level of work to exist in, in, that, in, that, in our community and in that community. And it's a really interesting time out in Ipswich at the moment where those opportunities are becoming more frequent, but also um, more strategic and more... Um, I guess, uh, progressive and dynamic in their potential to elevate artists, emerging companies and emerging artists to that next level. So Seawall was a play um, that I was kind of preparing to do in, you know, the great dark hole that is 2020. And coming out the other end of that, an opportunity presented itself. And yeah, and then that it kind of just kind of rolled on from there. So um, yeah, when possible, we're trying to create work in Ipswich, but we also think it's really important to be having a dialogue with other companies and other venues across um, the Southeast Queensland region as well. Um, but this one, we're, we're really proud to be premiering at Ipswich first. Tim spoke to me before we started rehearsals about something that really struck home with me, which was that you know, his production company that he's that he's building very strongly is looking at creating opportunities for artists in different areas of Queensland uh, and that that benefits everybody and and to have another theatre company that is able to professionally employ or semi-professionally or whatever the, the situation might be for the particular production that he's putting on uh, is a wonderful thing and I think Tim you said to me something about if when you stick to the one location like like everyone is in Brisbane then we're all trying to fight for the same piece of pie when we just need to build a bigger pie by creating different opportunities and for to come out from Brisbane to Ipswich is not that far if we had similar opportunities on the Sunshine Coast or the Gold Coast um, then there's there's no artist that I know would have any qualms about jumping in the car and and traveling a little bit for further and greater opportunities and new audiences as well I think that somewhere like Ipswich has probably got it's probably craving some local content because as pri as people are priced out of the market real estate wise in in the major centers then um, you know areas like Ipswich become uh, spaces where there's younger families out there looking for some live entertainment yeah absolutely I mean food metaphors are very unbrand for me so I'm glad that you brought that up in this public forum we can share that with everyone um but yeah it's about you know why are we all staying in these you know um kind of built up cities all fighting over the same scraps when there's you know kind of there's opportunities to create and build something in other locations um and and I genuinely do think and this is something that was being discussed um on, on a podcast I was listening to during the week and it was about the fact that the people that are going to travel 
outside of their communities for shows are doing so with that event in mind. So they're going to go, they're going to travel the distance, they're going to make a day of it. It's about the event as much as it is um, seeing the show. But more often than not, people are really ready and willing and desiring to be experiencing things within their community. They don't want to have to necessarily drive so drive a, um, a distance to say QPAC, for example, to see a show. They want to be able to support their local restaurants, support their local economy, and also experience art in their own backyard as well. And I think that's what's good about, um, or maybe like kind of like a highlight from last year and this year as well, is that it's broadened the opportunities of local talent as well. So it's everyone just assumes, this is what I assume, everyone just goes to the city because most of the theatre is there, but really it's just right, it's right in your back, backyard, that's the thing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we all, when we're looking at making work in the city, you know, who of us is living in the 4000 postcode? Not that many of us, you know, so we are all living kind of on the outskirts. I mean, so we're actually, if you look at the distance between, you know, Brisbane CBD and Ipswich CBD, yeah, that's the distance, but where are the people that are traveling in and if they were to just turn west and travel the same distance in the other direction, they might find something equally as as, as appealing and as um, satisfying. Definitely, Steve. You're you're doing a one man show. How's that? How's that going? As in the process, doing a one man show, knowing that you're the only person performing that. Uh, I was out of the industry for a number of years, and when I came back into it, I you know for lack of a better term, put out to the universe that I wanted opportunities that were more artistically satisfying, uh, more meaningful on a, on a more social scale as well. And, uh, and Tim kindly offered this to me and it just felt absolutely right. So then you say yes. And then the process of, Oh, how am I going to do this sort of starts to play. So, you know, I've done things like I typed the whole play out and I started writing it out by hand and realized that that was going to take me way too long. So I kept, you know, went back to typing. I've recorded myself saying it and I listened to it in the car. It's, it would be a lie if I said that I was anywhere near off book by day one, but the processes that we've been through already, even very early on in rehearsals of really breaking down the text and analyzing it deeply. That's the things, they're the things that help me learn the dialogue way better than anything, than just trying to learn it by rote and not having it attached to anything. So uh, I'm very grateful for the, for the processes that we've had already. And I'm looking forward to, to, you know, what's coming in the weeks to come in terms of the rehearsal. Uh, the, the idea of being in a, in a very intimate space, with um, a bunch of people and being able to make eye contact with them and deliver directly to them is is probably as frightening as anything else. Instead of just being in a space where the audience is black and you can't see them, and in terms of lighting, you know, you can't see it, you can't see anything, you can't make eye contact with anyone. This one is a direct delivery uh, in its style where it could change from night to night and moment to moment depending on how the person you're looking at reacts and how you might want to drag something more out of them or affect them more or or attach to one person because they're giving you more so uh look it's full of exciting challenges and uh prospects but that's what we do it for i think if you're not scaring yourself then you might as well not be doing this game it's kind of sounding more like um building that relationship for the audience for this particular production as well yeah absolutely absolutely and you know 
it's a very interesting um it's very interesting when you're directing a one-man show like this as well particularly a show that is essentially like Steve said director dressed like you're connecting because you know not to not to say that um you know I am an aqua an actor as such or I'm equal to the work that Steve's doing but he does require me to fill that that um that space as audience member so we are I am his scene partner in a way because you know and and I was reflecting on this over the last week as well how much I've taken for granted other people being in the scene as well and with the actors acting to each other and me being this kind of outside eye but in this he's looking at me talking to me the entire time um and I feel compelled to be giving something back um and I think that's a really interesting you know indication for what the audience is going to be um what's going to be required of the audience come the show and and how much they're going to be a part of what makes this show what it is as well. I was going to ask Steve actually I was having a look at your CV earlier on and there's a lot of dark stuff on there like we've got (laughs) Pillow Man, we've got Kelly which you've gone back to a couple times and now Seawall. What is it about these these roles that are a bit more confronting and a bit more edgy you know I I could see you've also done The Odd Couple which is a lovely light-hearted comedic moment but what is it about these dark roles that's pulling you in? I don't, I don't know how to answer that because I think I'm a reasonably nice person, but I keep getting cast in these. I mean, this is a nice person who uh, in Seawall who goes through something that is not so nice, but the, I've often played these characters that are morally questionable or, uh, you know, not the nicest humans. And I'm not sure why people keep asking me to do those roles. <laughs> I think part of it is uh, well, without blowing my own trumpet, I, I tend to give a lot of myself to those types of characters and uh, I'm not afraid to kind of go a bit deeper with some of the the nastier side of things. Uh, so, but look, they're also more interesting. Uh, they're, they're roles that are, you know, I, I enjoy doing things like The Odd Couple and there's no problem with any of those, but there's an element of those which is entertainment for entertainment's sake and it doesn't have a broader impact and um, that's not necessarily exactly where I want to be going, although they are nice and fun to do as a change when you just need a bit of an emotional break from it. <laughs> Something like Kelly, when we toured Kelly, you know, that was that was a very rough time on me physically and emotionally because it was uh, it's a very draining play it's a very draining story and an incredibly draining character and not only that everywhere you go you're being asked about the human that was Ned Kelly and not just uh the, not just you know the production that you're in and you're expected to be some kind of an expert on that and so I came away from that tour with adrenal fatigue uh, and then did the odd couple and that was when I took a break from the industry after that was needing needing to recover physically because I think that um, through necessity, because I couldn't do it any other way, because I wouldn't feel right doing it any other way, I opened my whole sort of soul and heart up to the audiences and and maybe I need some better protection <laughs> mechanisms for myself, but it's just the way I'm built, unfortunately. Is it kind of like a, a way of building, I'm not, I wouldn't say boundaries, but like, limitations to it though or not really just your own process of how you deal with these kind of productions you you do have to have a way of bringing yourself back 
to yourself again uh, if you are diving a bit deeper then then there is the risk that you kind of disappear into the character a little bit um, I tend to be able to sw switch off for the most part uh, you know people close to me have sort of said you do pick up traits of your characters and hold on to them uh, often they're the positive traits in the negative characters that I look for to hold on to rather than the bad ones uh, but you know even when you're playing characters that are not great humans you can't judge them in a negative way because they don't so you know no bad person thinks they're a bad person you have to find the good in them and the motivation in them and the reason why they're behaving in a certain way and with someone like ned kelly for example uh there's a big argument about was he a good person or was he a bad person and and at the end of the day my opinion to be able to play him in the way that i wanted to was that he was doing everything he possibly could to protect his family and his loved ones and so that necessitated everything that he did so you find that positive motivation into a, a character that is not necessarily the, you know, that way received as an audience. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you need to find the darkness in yourself, but then you also need to find a positive reason to use the darkness. Yeah, definitely. While we're on the note of talking about acting, Steve, you do a, you do a mix of stage and screen. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to know from like an acting perspective and a preparation perspective, how different the two arcs. I think a lot of people look at acting, acting's acting, but they're such different mediums. They, they can't be that similar. So how do, you, how do you differentiate the approach for both and the actual task of acting for both? Okay. Uh, well, look, a lot of the things that, particularly with the films that I've done in the last couple of years, they've been very last minute castings. So oh. I've had two sort of lead roles in two independent feature films uh, that Such as been... Forever First Love by Luke Mays. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. He did my uh, headshot. So I was like, why does he look familiar? Then I realised, oh, it's you're in his movie. <laughs> yeah, so Forever First Love, which, uh, you know, if you jump on their Instagram page, there'll be some updates coming soon about what's going on with that. There's some exciting things happening with Forever First Love in the next little while. Uh, but that was, I was casting that about two weeks before oh. we flew out. Because that was an overseas one, right? It was shot in the Philippines, yep. So there wasn't, and I was working full-time and I had to take the time off work and that was, so there wasn't a lot in in terms of prep time. It was, what do I have to do to get time off work and get overseas? So was, we were shooting seven or eight, ten-minute scenes in one take and then, you know, in the master. And we were learning that scene as we were shooting the scene in the morning because we knew we had to shoot that at night. We did it all in about 11 days. So wow. that one, look, thankfully, I had the most wonderful uh, stay, a screen partner in Carlotta Morelli, who is a London-based Italian actress. Uh, and we just had an immediate chemistry and immediate working relationship that worked beautifully so if it wasn't for her we'd be in trouble i did another film earlier this year which is currently called last arc but i think that is going to change because it sounds a bit too much like Raiders of the lost arc uh, <laughs> but if you look up their instagram page it's currently called last arc movie uh, that's a sci-fi film and that was again a last minute replacement for an actor who was no longer available for the shoot so again i think i had about a week or two weeks so in terms of process it's get there, say the lines, don't stuff anything up. And, you know, <laughs> that's, how, <laughs> that's how the film and TV thing has worked for me. Uh, when I, you know, back in the day I did Home and Away uh, and, you know, they, they, their 
Uh, I know we're not allowed to swear on this, so I'll, I'll pretend to swear. But their um, their saying is, as long as you don't say the F word or trip over the furniture, it's a take. And uh, sometimes it feels a bit like that with the with the independent films as well. But so you you just got to. Uh, I think the process is throw yourself into the take. As soon as they call action, you're on, and that's it. And you've got to you've got to be completely committed to it. Um, because if you get a line wrong, you've just got to add it and you just got to keep going. So I, I can't even explain my process, uh, really. It's read it, find out who the person is, and then and then hope that that um, is visible to the audience. Yeah. And, okay, we've had you under the pump for a bit now, Steve, so I'm going to move on to you, Tim. I wanted to have a chat specifically about moving from community theatre, because I know you did some stuff at Spotlight because I'm there now too. Um, how do you transition from working in the community theatre scene to then working with Vina Cover and then now you have your own production company, that that production company. Yeah, um, so that is a great question. Um, so when I um, first took an interest in directing, it kind of came about when that production company started and that production company started out of a desire for me to perform or to, or to make work um, more generally. And at the same time, I um, was very fortunate enough to have had um, a kind of a mentor of mine offer me the opportunity to um, assistant direct a production um, at a community theatre. Yeah, I thought there was going to be a lot of sitting and watching, um, but it came to the, you know, staging of the musical number. And he kind of just threw the script at me and was like, you can do this. And I was just completely flying by the seat of my pants. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And luckily it was a Disney show and I'd obviously grown up on that. So I knew I knew the material, but I was kind of like, oh, okay, this person. And, and that kind of was really the start of it. And at the same time as I was having that experience, I was also directing my first independent production. Um, and what differentiated those two things, I suppose, was, you know, in community theatre, there are a lot of, um, you know, it where people get their start and so there are people there with aspirations to be performers but also there are other people there that you know are just so happy to have a creative outlet whereas in the independent work that I was doing it was people that were very very um, laser focused on you know making artwork um, and and kind of having careers and I kind of did the two simultaneously for a while and you know one definitely fed the other and I would say the biggest difference is in kind of, I guess, what the other collaborators in those processes give you. Um, there's definitely much more of a sense of, um, I feel less pressure, I guess, in a community theatre way, because there is this big kind of, you know, the, some of these community theatre institutions are quite big and they're and quite resourced. Um, so there's definitely that support, whereas in the independent space, it is quite different. It is, you know, I, I feel definitely a little bit more pressure there. But I think, yeah, both definitely have their, their rewards. I think working independently, emerging, and then into a professional um, type space, I am really seeing um, kind of the work that I want wanted to create um, and that vision fulfilled along with my collaborators and I, I'm being inspired by them, them through that process but then in working with in community spaces uh, just when you see people nailing it and and taking flight and kind of you know living their best lives so to speak that's so gratifying that you're able to help them you know gain that confidence or build that sense of community or 
play their dream role, you know, that you're a part of that as well. And I think that's equally as gratifying. And, and maybe in a way, you know, with Steve as an actor, alternating between um, film and TV and theatre and those different processes. And I think it would be fair to say, Steve, that you, that though they kind of feed into each other. Like when you're doing a play, you might then start thinking, oh, maybe I want to get back in front of the camera. For me, it's the same, you know, the doing a show independently I, or for my own company, I then, you know, get a little bit hungry for, oh, I want to do a big, a big musical or I want to do something with a real community vibe. Um, and then that's kind of what leads me on my next um, kind of project. That's so cool. Because you, you have done a lot of projects. Like on your CV, there's 20 productions that you've just directed. I was going to say, do you have like a style? Do you have an approach? Like what's, what's the formula? Yeah. Um, uh, when you just said 20 productions that I direct, I just kind of felt it in every molecule of my being. The, the, you know. <laughs> um, so I'll just recover from that. Um, <laughs> I think my process is always, you know, people in the room first thing. So, you know, I'll obviously do, you know, preparation. I'll have my ideas, but I think, you know, just allowing um, the rehearsal room to be as open and as positive and as collaborative as possible um, is a really key thing for me because um, I do not have all the answers. And sometimes I'm also not the most, on any given day, I potentially not the most creative person in the room, you know. It does fluctuate, you know, we all have lives and we have other things and that, that stress us and that fatigue us and stuff like that. So I'm fully conscious walking into a room if I have had a particular day, I'm not going to be able to be the one with all the answers and be the one that pushes the project forward. And having invested in a relationship with my collaborators that gives them agency over the process as well, I think creates a really great environment for the project to only ever be moving forward. And, you know, the best idea always being the one that surfaces. Um, and then at the end of the day, having a show that you know, couldn't have been done without any of the single parts in the process. Um, and it's something that we can all be like, yeah, we did that. And I think it's, I kind of want to do like a full circle here because Brooke kind of just briefly mentioned about it, but you also did a production with Vena Carver Productions as well. And for those who don't know, Vena Carver is a student theatre company um, at a university. What's that been like collaborating with younger students or younger creatives in terms of bring a production together because it's yeah and also we've got a flex that Chelsea is an executive for Vina Carver so it's very exciting yeah. for her <laughs> yeah when, when you said that oh he you did, was part of Vina Carver I was like I need to ask about this because <laughs> the idea of student theatre companies is so important in terms of emerging artists as well yeah absolutely so the thing that I love about student theatre companies and kind of to kind of do a weird tangent on this the first production that that production company ever did was is um very much full of university students um at a particular university that didn't have you'll probably be able to guess which one I'm talking about from this but um that at that time there's there was like underground arena cover and this particular university didn't have anything like that at the time so the company kind of was built on the back of a group of uni students from this particular university wanting to, to, to contribute something independently with it, with a really big performative outcome. And go to that university, you know, I had friends who did, and that's kind of how the company started. And I remember 
doing that show and you know you could make the argument that it's the best thing that I will ever do because at the time I didn't know all the things I couldn't do or I didn't know what all the limitations were it was just like everything is fair game because we're we don't know we, we we're not we haven't been burnt we haven't been you know scared into doing things a certain way we didn't feel um we didn't feel um obligated to any kind of responsibility or any kind of um you know, industry standard. We were just telling the story that we wanted to tell with all the tools in our toolbox. And going back would have been, you know, nearly a, uh, nearly a decade later um, and doing and working with Vina Carver, who were very, you know, generous in kind of opening up that opportunity to me. It was such a great experience because the student theatre companies uh, have, the, have the potential to be telling, you know, the most current and relevant stories. You know, they're political, they're risky, they're dangerous. And, you know, when you kind of exit university into the industry, there's a whole different um, set of limitations that are placed on you that um, you don't have at that point. And so you can be as daring as you want to be. And for me, after all the, that time, going back into a space where there were young people that, you know, like I did all those years ago, didn't know what they um, didn't know what those limitations were and were just acting purely on instinct to tell, you know, a really, um, a really important story or a really crucial story or a problematic story or whatever, you know, was really refreshing. And also that I guess the real big thing about it is you can fail abysmally and that is okay. And it's still, it was still all worth it. Whereas when you, go outside into the industry that you know the failures kind of can weigh you down a little bit more but I think there's such a really kind of vigorous celebration of failure in a student theatre context and yeah keep going. But yeah it's important though because I only realised it last year and this year as well being an executive I'm like oh my gosh it's so important because it it's it's a starting platform for them as well which is really important and then when you go and graduate as well it's a whole new environment that they're now just starting to get used to. And it's really important getting that experience as well. Yeah. Getting that experience and allowing yourself to kind of get a little sense of kind of what your artistic sensibility is going to be and, or, or what, like you you can allow that student theatre experience to help form that so when you do step out into the industry you have a little bit of a sense of of your own identity and where you sit um and you can either continue to forge the path uh continue to forge a particular path with that kind of knowledge and that confidence or you can um kind of adapt and 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 be flexible and and go really anywhere you want to go and Steve, in regards of um, there's probably listeners out here who are wanting to be actors or wanting to perform in that, but if you could give them a piece of advice or one advice that you've learnt throughout your creative career that you would like to give to emerging actors. There's a couple of things. There's, there's a few things that I bang on about when I teach. Uh, one is that um, you need to rehearse at a level that's about 120, 130, 140% so that you can relax backwards into it. If you are acting at a level that is in rehearsal, that is an eight compared to the 10 you need to get to for rehearsal and you think that it'll be all right on the night, then you'll be pushing the energy upwards to try and find that level on the night. 
and the audience is going to be watching you panic and watching you act. And there's, for me, there's not much more frustrating than watching an actor act. Uh, if you rehearse at 120, 130%, you can then, then the 100% then becomes easy. And so you're watching an actor connect and, and speak and connect with the language. Uh, that goes, that, that same philosophy applies for physicality, uh, vocal work, diction uh, across the board. That's my sort of big overarching philosophy. But backing up on what Tim was just talking about before with theatre production, uh, student production companies and things, you know, those, those places are a wonderful space to learn stagecraft and learn expectations and learn piece by piece, bit by bit over time, what it is that you need to have in your tool bag to take to a larger, to a professional theatre company and go, this is how I work. This is what's expected of me and this is professional. We, I mean, I've seen a number of younger, less experienced actors plucked from obscurity and put onto the big stage. And they're just not ready, not because they don't have the raw talent, but because they don't have the bag of tricks. They don't have the stagecraft particularly. They don't have the discipline or the uh, the director proofness as well is quite big, like being able to take direction and not find it, a, a, take it as a personal attack. So never underestimate the stepping stones that it takes to get to, to you know, the what you would consider the top levels of, of theatre, particularly in this country. Uh, I've been doing it for 20 something years now and I still think I'm learning and adding to that tool bag every day. <laughs> what about you Tim is there, is there anything that you wish young directors and emerging creatives knew? If, if you're an artist or if you're an actor then you should be acting and I, I this is something that you know is much more complicated than the way I'm going to say it but just make sure that you're acting not just waiting for that kind of opportunity like you can you can read books and you can watch things and you can do all that but there's something about stepping on stage learning from other actors directors and collaborators that really is going to propel you forward um in in your in your ability and your experience so if you are you know an an actor wanting to get actor at you know university then audition for the student theatre company, audition for your local community theatre, because there are things more than money that you are going to get from those experiences. And at the end of the day, you know, um, when that time comes and you do get that big break or you are plucked from obscurity, you're going to have that, you're going to have a bigger toolkit, you know, to kind of use um, Steve's language there to, to impress and to to you know validate your cut the, the casting of yourself. Um, so yeah, so try and say you know while always taking care of yourself and and you know trusting your own gut, but try and say yes to as much as possible, as many different experiences as possible. Um, yeah, because it's all gonna it's all gonna serve you in the end. Oh, that's God. why I left it a chance to to do this show as well. Just a one man show, never done anything like that before. Tim and I had never met before this uh before day one of rehearsal so it was we he opened the door for me we should we'd had a, a you know a few chats over the phone and email and text and things but uh there was no hesitation when i saw the type of things that you know when we chatted about the types of things that he wanted to achieve with this and um and how it was going to be staged and all of that sort of thing 
it was it was an instinct but it was also just a why not you know I've got a gap in my diary that's about seven weeks long and this process is taking about five weeks and fitting directly into the middle of that seven weeks before I pick up and go back on my next job again so uh, or everything just lined up perfectly and when they line up like that you just say yes <laughs> you don't hesitate you just take it. so <laughs> normally at the end of uh, every episode of the podcast we all ask um, our groovy guests uh, one question we always ask so theatre house is known for the home of theatre and whatnot so our question is where is home for you because I know, um, Steve, you're an actor, Tim, you're a director. So you have your own areas of where you'd like to work, but preferably, or it could be at home. It could be a Where's, metaphor. could be a yes. metaphor. Um, well, this is a very literal answer. So I don't know, it, it's at the same time going to be, I guess, very deep, but also not. Like home, home for me, I guess, you know, is Ipswich. And I guess the reason I say that is because, you know, Ipswich pride, this is where born and bred, all that kind of stuff. But I think as someone that has lived somewhere for so long and also at the same time traveled to the other end of the world to experience all these different things. Um, I think nothing can underestimate um, the kind of the feeling and I guess the power of creating work in your own community and in the place where you live and that people know you and being able to kind of show them the the meaning of of the arts and theater and storytelling, Um, yeah. That's my answer. Lovely. And and what about you, Steve, as well? Where's home for you? The literal answer for me would be I feel at home on the sunny coast. Uh, that's where I grew up. That's where I went to school. That's uh, where my parents still live. And it's very comfortable for me up there. I'm more of a coastal country boy than I am a city boy. And I will be making moves back in that direction later on in the year to get out of the big smoke uh but the the less literal answer would be that I do feel at home on a stage it's it's an odd thing uh I (laughs) I don't know if I should be saying this but I wish that stage work paid the way that it feels like it deserves to be paid uh and, and that it and particularly once you reach the the top the top level and uh you're still not making anywhere near a percentage of what the ticket sales, for example, might be, but also just as, as much as film and TV can potentially pay at times as well. Um, It's really difficult to have, you know, when you have a really good successful year and you look at the bank statement or the the tax return at the end of the year and you go, Oh, I had a really successful year artistically, but geez, (laughs) I I I didn't benefit much financially out of that. Yeah. Um, but sorry, that's the long way of saying that I do feel that uh, I'm much more a stage actor than I am a film and TV actor. Although I, I love making that crossover, I love doing it. But if I could spend every night for the rest of my life performing a show somewhere, then I would die a very, very happy man. Great answers, team. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, before you go, is there a website, a Instagram that people can follow along with your journey separately as well as Seawall? 
Yeah, so in terms of Seawall, um, we're currently on sale. Um, please come and see um, Steve do his wonderful um, performance and you can get tickets at thatproductioncompany.com.au. Um, you can also follow That Production Company on Instagram and me, Timothy Wynn, on Instagram for all of my shenanigans. Uh, and and having said what, just to back up quickly what Tim said, there, there, there's not many tickets. It's a limited audience run, so you don't want to miss out. So get in while you can. Uh, my Instagram is my name without vowels, so it's just S T V N R K, which is a bit odd, but you know, go and go and see if you can find it um, and and follow along. Oh, well, thank you so much, guys, for coming onto the podcast. We, we really do appreciate you guys coming in on your spare time. So if you would like to see everything Tim and Stephen have been working on in Seawall, make sure you catch it at the Ipswich Civic Centre from the 29th to the 30th of July. It's right around the corner. And as they were saying, limited seating capacity. So get those tickets literally ASAP. Our next Playhouse pick is Queensland Theatre Company's latest tour de force, a one-woman show, Prima Farsi. Prima Farsi tells the story of Tessa, a criminal lawyer who loves to win even when defending clients accused of sexual assault. Boo! But when she finds herself on the other side of the bar, Tessa is forced into the shadows of doubt she has so ruthlessly cast over other women. It exposes the shortcomings of a patriarchal justice system where it's her word against his. This tragically timely story runs in the Billy Brown studio from the 14th of July to the 7th of August. Now on a more local note, if listening to all of our incredible creatives has got you itching to get involved with some of the arts yourselves, there's an exciting audition announcement here for you, my sweet, sweet roomies, my sweet angel roomies, my sweet little angel cherub baby roomies. Phoenix Ensemble in Beanley are holding auditions for their final show of the year, Jasper in Dead Land on the 31st of July. This modern musical follows 16-year-old Jasper as he delves into a hybrid underworld based on an array of mythologies set to a rockin' score. How cool, right? How fun. Get to the tin shed. You know you're going to love it. Have a great time. Phoenix Ensemble for that one. And while you're here, while you're on your phone, because I know you are, we're all, we all multitask while consuming media, make sure you follow us on Instagram. We have a lot of fun on there. So pop, pop onto Insta. Why not? Okay, don't know about you lot, but I'm feeling incredibly inspired after that interview. Um, we always like to think of a takeaway moment, Chelsea and I, but my takeaway from this interview was about the accessibility of theatre, how important and how awesome it is to take works that very easily could be put on in Brizzy, bring them down to the coast, take them out to Ipswich, put them on the sunny coast, take them out rural. I think uh, as young creatives, we have an exciting opportunity to go a little bit left of field and do some some out of the ordinary stuff in out of ordinary places. So that was definitely my big takeaway. Let me know what your big takeaway was. DM us on Instagram if you're not already following us at PlayhousePod, house with H-A-U-S. And that's going to wrap up the show. I hope you're having a wonderful day, staying safe, staying healthy, wearing your mask, drinking water, consuming vitamin C, getting some vitamin D, other vitamins as well. Vitamins are good. And we will hear from you next week. And see. Oh, it's not as fun on my own. I can't wait to have Chelsea back in the studio. Good morrow, mine Kyotis. <laughs>
Tis I, your once in future pal, old Matty, through fortuitous wheeling and or dealing, old Matty bamboozled, hoodwinked, and duped himself in official That's Not Canon Productions podcast. Delicious Word Sandwich, the only podcast that transforms literary readables into scrumptious edibles, and the only literature podcast ever made, probably. Get a questionable recipe and an impeccable book breakdown all in one by the month as old Matty reviews a New Yorker short story, shares some advice from the almighty titan and old Matty's idol, Ernest Hemingway, then finally transforms every element of classic novel into ingredients. Example, marvel as I turn the Maltese Falcon's cynical characters into smoky bitter cheese and its hard-boiled plot into an egg. Shell included. All the while, Delicious Word Sandwich chronicles old Maddie's madcap misadventures in which he conquers death. So be sure to catch Delicious Word Sandwich on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and in your demonically possessed spaghetti. Until then, farewell, my cuties. That's Not Kind of Productions podcast.